We're continuing our series, John chapter 4. We're in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. And as you turn there, or view the screen, you'll discover as we read that it's about a father who is desperately concerned about his son who is ill. Ill to the point of death. Friday we got news that Timmy Russell, 27, uh, died. And his family, Tim and Julie and his uh, sister, Lacey, have to deal with that. And in talking with um, both Tim and Julie, it's amazing how strong they were because they'd only been told a few hours earlier that this had happened. And Julie said, You know, Doug, Tim was a Christian. He did trust Jesus. And Lacey posted, My brother is now free. He suffered from some uh, issues, demons, but she knows he's home. The reason I mention it is because we're going to read here about a father who's so desperate he goes 15 miles to see a Jewish rabbi and this guy's a Gentile. And the reason he goes to Jesus is because he's heard that Jesus has power. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus would heal His Son. You know, on this side of the death, it's so easy to say, you know, why Lord? That's a good question. Some so easy for us to think it's, it's a bad bit of news. And it is for we who continue to live here in this world without Tim Russell, who was just a terrific guy. But to think of where he is with the Lord, that really changes things. And so before we read this, I'd like to pray for the Russell family and for ourselves that God might give us opportunity even in our prayers to lift them up. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Tim and Julie and Lacey. We thank You for the fact that for years they've known You and trusted You. And Lord, we know that Tim did too. We pray that as arrangements are made, decisions are made about when to have a memorial service and where and all the different issues. Lord, we pray that as a church, we might lift them before You regularly. And that You might impress upon us what You would have us do in addition to pray. For Lord, we know that many, many are touched by this. So much grief, so much wonder, and so much worry. And even bitterness, resentment, anger. Lord Jesus, we pray to You because we know that You're in charge. 
may you bring good out of this very tough situation. Because we know you specialize in that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for welcoming our prayers and taking them all the way to your Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Beginning in 43. After two days, Jesus departed for Galilee. Now you remember He was on His way from the south, Judea, to the north Galilee, and He passed through because He chose to Samaria. And not only does He deal with a woman at the well, but because of her testimony, many come to Jesus and they believe. And He spends two days with them. And so He heads north. And John says, For Jesus Himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when He came to Galilee, the place of His growing up, the Galileans welcomed Him, having seen all that He had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So He came again to Cana in Galilee, while he had made, where He had made water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday about the seventh hour, the fever left him. The man knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when He had come from Judea to Galilee. When He was 24 years old, He recorded this song. He had grown up in Washington, D.C. His father was a Pentecostal minister. He grew up singing in the church. He grew up playing the drums in the church. And yet, when he turned 16, he left sacred music and went secular. At 18, he enlisted in the Air Force for a few years. When he was out, he got a job with a singing group called the Marquis. And after 18 months, he got a call that he had desperately wanted from Barry Gordy in Detroit, Michigan, asking him to come to Motown. You know, before Smokey Robinson, before Diana Ross, there was a Marvin Gaye. And Marvin Gaye is credited with really creating the Motown sound. From his first release, they called him the Prince of Soul. Now, if you with a few years on, you know some of Marvin Gaye's hits. 
I heard it through the grapevine. What's going on? But when I came to this text this week, I didn't think about those songs. I thought about one that he recorded in 1963. Since he recorded it, many have recorded it after him. The Temptations, Supremes, many others. It comes right out of the church. He probably had heard his father say these words on repeated occasions. Can I have a witness? Or can I get a witness? I spent a lot of time in the charismatic church and I'd hear that, especially from traveling preachers. You know, when they warmed to the text and when they would say something that they thought was profound and had an impact on the crowd, they'd say, can I get a witness? Somebody in the back of the room would stand up and say, Amen! Let me give you a witness. And what they would do would be they would tell how that particular truth had impacted their own lives. And if they really were bold, they'd come all the way to the front. And they'd say, Preacher, let me give you a witness. That's the refrain of the song. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? You know, nobody is more concerned about a witness than God Almighty. In the Old Testament, if you're going to go to a court of law, you always had to have a witness because one testimony wasn't enough. You'd need to have someone witness it. And that's why in the Old Testament, the Jews knew that the number two represents witness. Do you remember when the Pharisees would begin to castigate Jesus and they'd say, by what authority do you do this? How is it that you say what you say? What they were saying is, give me a witness. You speak on your own. You don't cite any witnesses. You don't cite any authority. And yet, when you get to chapter 8 of John's Gospel, you see Jesus dealing with that. In effect, what they're saying is, give me a witness. So here's John, the last Gospel writer. He's putting together his Gospel. He begins in chapter 2 telling us the story of a man who is one of the 71 most powerful men in Israel. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. His name means victory to the people. Nicodemus. He's a learned man. He's a man who's a leader. And yet, when he meets Jesus, Jesus pinpoints his deepest need. Beginning of chapter 4, Jesus meets a second person in John's Gospel. She's a woman sitting by a well of Sychar in Samaria. She's a peasant woman. She's a woman of no good repute. She's a member of a hated class of people called the Samaritans. And yet Jesus not only speaks to her, He ministers to her greatest need. She meets Jesus at the well and He meets her need. And then, before moving on, John gives us a third story. Here it's a Gentile. Here it's a man who's a nobleman. An official of Herod's aristocracy. He's the counterpart to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. This man is a ruler of the Gentiles. 
Now in the first two encounters, the power of Jesus is seen in His Word. Jesus speaks and Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman have their lives changed. But in this third encounter, not only does Jesus speak, but there is a witness to what He said. And it changes this man's life. And it can change our lives too. So let's dig in. First of all, notice the place where all of this happens. Verse 46, So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where He had made water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Now did you know that in the whole New Testament, this town, this village, four and a half miles north of Nazareth, is mentioned three times. Cana. And John is the only one to mention this place. He mentions it in chapter 21, and then in the first four chapters of his gospel, he mentions it twice. Now think of what that means. Of all the places Jesus went, of all the places Jesus taught, of all the places He did miracles, of all the people He impacted, John chooses out of seven miracles that he records to have the first two take place in Cana of Galilee. Why would he do it? Why would John spend two of the signs, two of the wonders, two of the miracles on miracles Jesus did in this little one-horse town in Galilee? And the answer is clear. He's giving us a witness. Listen to what he says after Jesus turns water into wine, right at the end of that passage. This was the first sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And then at the end of this little encounter, John says exactly the same thing. This is the second sign Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Meaning what? Meaning the second sign is inexorably linked to the first sign. Whenever the author says something like that, he's calling for a comparison. He's saying, look at these two miracles taking place in the same place in the relatively short amount of time. Compare and contrast them. You know, John tells us seven things that happens in Cana at both of these miracles that are exactly the same. First of all, it's all, they happen on the third day. Secondly, they involve a rebuke by Jesus. Thirdly, they produce a, a decision to obey. Fourth, they're a part of, they occur as a result of Jesus speaking a word. They both involve servants. They both produce faith. And they both happen in the same place. Cana of Galilee. Second, notice the person. Look at verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come down from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now John tells us in verse 46, he's an official. And the word he uses in Greek is actually best translated nobleman. In all of the Bible, no nobleman is a Jew. They're always Gentiles. So again, think of what this means. 
three encounters. A leading Jew, a dirty Samaritan, and a leading Gentile. All of them come to Jesus. All of them have the same need. Jesus meets their need. Unlike Nicodemus, this guy doesn't come at night. He comes in broad daylight. Unlike Nicodemus, who makes his way through Jerusalem to see Jesus, this guy goes 15 miles. And if he's walking, it takes him four hours to get there. Now, why would a nobleman, with all of his resources, choose to walk from Capernaum by Lake of the Sea of Galilee all the way down to Cana? There's only one reason. He's desperate. He is desperate to have his son be healed. Somebody once said, affliction is one of God's greatest medicines because it always drives us to Jesus. This guy was a nobleman in Herod's court. Think of the doctors that he knew. Think of the money that he had. Think of the political capital he expended. And yet every single remedy must have failed because now his son with a fever has gone to the point of death. And he hears that Jesus, a rabbi, can do miracles and so he gives him a shot. He's in desperate need. Third, notice his plea. Look at verse 49. The official said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now this isn't the first time He's asked Jesus for a miracle. And we know that from verse 47. Because Jesus, as soon as He sees the man, and the man must have made His request known, Jesus says to him, all you care about are signs and wonders. In other words, you're just like every other Gentile. You want miracles. You want signs. You want wonders. Now that's pretty severe. A pretty severe rebuke for Jesus to utter. You know what he means? He means, are you just here for a show? And the man answers, Sir, come down before my child dies. In other words, I don't care what other people say, I don't care what other people do. All I care is about my son living. Do you see his desperation? You know, the first death in the Bible was not a death of a father or mother or a grandmother or a grandfather. It was a death of a son. And everything in us says that's not right. Old people should die first, not young children. The man wants no part of the death of his son. He's a Gentile leader who travels 15 miles to see a Jewish rabbi, and when he gets there, he calls him Sir. Now, there's several words in Greek that are translated Sir. Often it's just a term of respect, Sir. But this time, the word that's used in Greek literally means Lord. And what he's saying is, you are in charge. I am asking you to come down to Capernaum and heal my son, but I'm under authority and you're that authority. 
You give the order and I'll obey. Lord, come down and heal my son. And then fourth, notice the provision. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go. Your son will live. And then John says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. You know what's amazing to me? In Matthew chapter 8, there's another man from Capernaum. He's also a man of high rank. He's a centurion. He's got a hundred soldiers under him. And Matthew says one day that man makes his way to Jesus. And he says, sir, will you come to my house and heal my servant? And Jesus responds by going with him. And after he goes a short way, the man says to Jesus, you don't need to come under my roof. In fact, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. But here Jesus makes no such offer. Jesus hears this man say, Sir, come down to Capernaum and heal my son. And Jesus says, Go! Your son will be well. I mean, think of that. He doesn't even offer to go. You think that's cold? I thought Jesus would go anywhere in need and existed. And if you thought that, that's because you believe in a false Jesus. Not the Jesus of Scripture. Jesus passed by many people with needs. The ones He met were those the Holy Spirit directed Him toward. And every single one of them has at some level a deep, heartfelt need for Jesus. They've sought Him. He'll never turn away from anyone who, who turns to Him. Somebody said there may be much ignorance in all of us. There may be much flesh mixed with our appeals. But if our heart is truly set on Him, He will always respond and give us more than we ask or think. I mean, look what happens here. Jesus says, go, your son will live. And 15 miles away, at that word of Jesus, go. That boy is healed. Distance matters nothing to Jesus. But then there's something else that's fascinating here. Something that John doesn't want us to miss. When Jesus says go, John says, the man believed the word Jesus spoke to him. And at that point, he's just like Nicodemus. Nicodemus has heard the word Jesus spoke to him and he believes. The woman at the well has heard the word Jesus speaks to her and she believes. In both cases, Jesus has pinpointed their deepest need and the result is they cast their life on Him. They believe in Him. But that's not all that happens here. Two years after Marvin Gaye recorded, Can I Get a Witness? Paul McCartney wrote the first song about his mother. Now most people think he's talking about some girlfriend, but actually it's his mother. And the reason he's writing it about his mother is because nine years earlier when he was 14 years old, his mother died suddenly. And he misses his mom. 
And he's reflecting on her. And the song goes like this. I'd sing it to you, but my voice is terrible today. Some might say it's terrible all the time. It goes like this. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. It's a song of lament. What he's saying is, I hardly knew her. I was only 14. It's a song about lost dreams yesterday. And for most of us, that's what we think about yesterday. You know, yesterday was the good day. Yesteryear, those were the days. Those were the days. Of course, through the corridor of time, we put on rose-colored glasses and we make yesterday better than it really was. But notice the words used here. The man says to his servants, When did my son recover? And they say yesterday. About one o'clock in the afternoon. Now think of this. He's on his way home to Capernaum. It's 15 miles away. That takes four hours to walk. If Jesus said, go, your son is well, at one o'clock, he could have gotten home before it's five. He could have gotten home before dark. But that's not what John says. John says he's going home and he meets his servants and he asks, when was he healed? And they say, yesterday about one. You know what that means? He spent the night in Cana. Now that's amazing to me. Wouldn't he want to see his son healed? I mean, wouldn't he want to see if Jesus' word was true? What do you mean, yesterday? It means that he waited. He waited until the next day to go home. There's only one reason anybody would do that. Because he believed the word of Jesus. And he wanted to hang with him a little longer. You know what John Wesley once said? The more exactly the words of Jesus are considered, the more faith increases. I mean, I don't have a clue, but here's what I guess. Jesus said, go, your son's will. And he starts taking some steps, and then he starts thinking about it. I believe it's right. I believe he is well. I want to see Him. But I want to spend some more time with the One who commanded Him. Something happens in the guy's heart. What happened in his heart is exactly what happens to Nicodemus. We know by the end of the Gospel, he knows Christ. It's exactly what happened to the Samaritan woman at the well. She goes into town and says, come see the man who told me everything there is to know about. He believes the truth of Jesus' words. He believes the truth of Jesus' identity. He believes that Jesus has come for him. And then look at verse 53. He knew it was the same hour, the seventh hour, 1 p.m., when Jesus had said, your son will live. 
Then John says, He himself believed and all his household. How did they believe? He gave a witness. Do you see what John's doing? He's given us a witness. The same one who turned water into wine heals a boy 15 miles away at the exact same hour he says go. And this is the second time in this short story that John tells us the man believed. But this time, it's not just him believing, it's his whole household. The first time he believes, it's because of Jesus' Word. This time he believes not only because of his Word, but because of his work. And so does his household. At first he believed in Him, so he spent the night. But now he believes enough to be able to say to his family and his servants and everybody under his household roof, this Jesus is more than a Jewish rabbi. He is Lord. One Puritan commentator said, Here the Lord brings a boy to the point of death so that the whole household might be brought to spiritual life. Think of it. In three chapters, John gives us three stories. Each one of these people is from a different race, from a different culture, from a different standing in society. And yet each one has the same problem. There is a hole in their soul that only Jesus can fill. And John knows it. And that's why he's asking us in this story, do you know you've got the same hole in your soul? Can I get a witness? John says, you bet you can. In word and in deed, Jesus is all we need. Think about that. Amen.